I have something of a history with today's book. It goes back to my days at St. Louis Christian College. I had to fill out my, uh, my uh, 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 electives. That's the word. I knew it started with an E. Electives. Need an elective, Bible elective. And I thought, you know, it'd be nice to take a class that covered all the prophets, not just one. Well, there was a class like that. It was in the night program. It was taught by my uncle, Charlie, who happens to be here with us today. I didn't know he was going to be here when I set this preaching schedule. The major crowning assignment for this class was a creative book report. Now... The night class at St. Louis Christian College was usually populated with middle-aged folks who wanted to go back to school, finish off a degree, maybe prepare themselves better for ministry. So, you know, God love them, but, uh, you know, I get it. They're busy, they've got day jobs, they're tired at night, their well of creativity just wasn't that full. So most of them were, were uh, kind of yawners. And then there were about three of us in there from the day program. Not just any three, but three of the weird kids. Amen. And when you tell us to be creative, folks, sometimes you got to be careful when you tell people to get creative. you got to know who you're dealing with. Because there's people who are creative in a lot of ways, and then there's the people that you know, are creative in the ways that make you just squint at them and think, what is wrong with you? Because what you're going to get is not just nonsense, it is a quality, high-level nonsense. You know, bespoke. And so, that night, in room 136 at St. Louis Christian College, we were treated to Habakkuk as told by his dog. I got down behind the podium, and I just uh, let the dog explain the book of Habakkuk. (laughs) I I found my notes. They were pretty sparse, but I'm not going to do it now, because these are nice people. They haven't done anything that wrong. They don't deserve that. But uh, I distinctly remember about the time I got to the Monty Python quotes, uh, is when Charlie was laughing so hard, he about fell out of his chair. (laughs) and much fun was had, and I got a good grade. But this book of Habakkuk is pretty interesting on its own. Because most of the time, it can seem to us as though God is uninterested or uninvolved, that he created the universe and just started it spinning, then abandoned his creation. You may have heard that many of our founding fathers were deists, and they kind of thought that, well, God created the world and then just wound it up and let a rip. Because sometimes it seems like we're, we're asking questions that go unanswered. And we interpret that as lack of caring or sometimes even a lack of existence. And we say, well, if God exists, then why? So you see, the book of Habakkuk doesn't necessarily need Boston Terrier puppets. But sometimes it can make it a little more fun. Because we've got these questions. We want to know. And probably there's nobody in this room who hasn't at some point gotten down on our knees and said to God, God, why? Why is it going like this? Why? In our pain, in our frustration, and in our limited perspective, we want to know why. 
But if we read the Bible, we know that God has answered questions before. It doesn't happen often. It's pretty rare. It makes the Bible. That's how rare it is. In Job, Job's questions gradually become more arrogant, and God answers and puts Job right back in his place. But in Habakkuk, the prophet looks around. He realizes that there's some problems in this world. Because Habakkuk is a prophet in the waning days of the nation of Judah, around 605 B.C. He calls himself Habakkuk the prophet. Okay. He's a prophet. Some wonder if uh, he was a professional prophet connected with the uh, temple in Jerusalem. Because at the end of the book, he addresses this to the chief musician. That somehow this message, this experience he had with God... He's passing along so others can learn from. While many of the prophets will be the prophet explaining something on God's behalf to the people in Habakkuk, it's really more of just a conversation between the prophet and God. But we really know very little about Habakkuk other than these things. And as long as we're on the theme, you know, Habakkuk is another one of those names you just don't give to kids nowadays. You want to name your kid what? But in this relatively short book, it's only three chapters, they're not long ones, Habakkuk has this conversation with God. He's asking questions and he's getting answers. And we can kind of sum up this conversation with Habakkuk's own exclamations. He starts off, he's looking around, he sees major problems with society. Judah is becoming a particularly nasty place with rampant injustice. Man, that sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? And so he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk asks a question. When? When will God act? He has to see what's going on. He has to hear the cries of the righteous. But nothing happens. And even the institutions that exist to punish wickedness do nothing. The righteous suffer, the wicked prosper. Man, this is hitting a little close to home, folks. I don't know about you. I don't blame Habakkuk asking this question. We want to ask the same question. We'll put it pretty much the same way he does. We see it every night on the news. How long will God let this go on? At what point is there enough evil? When will the sins pile up high enough? God answers him. And that's probably the uh, surprising part. Here, right in verse 5, you know, we're, we're only five verses into the book, and God answers him. A cry of pain, and God answers and says, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I got a plan, Habakkuk. It says, I am preparing the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians at the time. They're going to punish the people. Don't you worry about it. The, the wicked will be punished. I am warming them up in the bullpen. 
says, I'm doing this right now. Just because God's work doesn't, you know, it's not immediately and noticeably visible, it doesn't mean it's not happening. See, we want to see results. We want to see it now. We can be a lot like the stockholders on Wall Street. You know, what, what, what are the results for this quarter? I don't really care what it's going to be five years down the road. I want my return now. We look at God say, God, what's going on now? And God says, Habakkuk, you don't see it, but it's happening. You can't tell from where you stand, but it's about to occur. Well, the prophet gets his answer. Only midway through chapter 1, he's asked a question, got an answer. You ever notice sometimes answers don't satisfy, just raises more questions? That happens a lot in life. Happens here. Habakkuk can't believe what he's hearing. Wait, you're doing what? You're going to use them to punish Judah? God, they're even worse. So he asks another question. Are you not from everlasting, my Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He goes on from there. Habakkuk, hearing the answer from God, he asked when. He gets the answer, and now he's like, what? What is with this plan? God, you're telling me you're going to judge the the wicked. You're going to save the righteous. But the bunch you're using, seriously? Them? Habakkuk, he can't reconcile God's plan with what he knows of God. He trusts God. He knows God to be righteous and good. But how can such a God use such a wicked tool to chastise the righteous? See, that's now his problem. Okay, the wicked are going to be judged, and there's always a little bit of splash around when that happens. And you know, okay, we you know we're pretty bad, but God, we're not as bad as they are. You're telling me you're going to judge the wicked, but you're going to do that by just letting other wicked people run rampant. God is enabling and strengthening the Babylonians, a pagan nation. They're not going to attribute their success to God. And Habakkuk uses this image of a net down in verse 15, 16, and 17 about, you know, kind of like a fisherman just gathering up people, you know, thing, fish in a net. And he's even saying, well, he does all this and he catches all this and he's happy and now he sacrifices to his net. Oh, thank you, net. It is this net which has enabled me. They're they're not recognizing God. So Habakkuk kind of wonders, is that all there is? Is that all there is? Wicked people swallowing up wicked people, the righteous mixed in and suffering from now until the end of time. Is this the world we've got? Yeah, he got an answer from God, 
<laughs> now he feels worse. Note, he's not indicting God's holiness or God's wisdom. He just plain doesn't understand, and he admits it. Well, God answers again. He says, the wicked people will themselves be punished. God is working. He's going to punish wickedness. It will not be allowed to run rampant. Those who trust in their own might, in their own wealth, in their own idols, they will find their trust misplaced. Says Habakkuk, I'm working a plan, and it goes beyond the next couple steps, buddy. You don't worry about it. And the key to all this comes in chapter 2, verse 4. This is a verse that has popped up a few other times in the Bible. See, if you recognize it, it's a fantastic verse. Love this verse. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Contrast the wicked with the righteous. Well, the wicked guy, he trusts in himself. He trusts in his own might. He trusts in his own ability. And he will fall. The righteous live by faith. We may not see, we may not know, but we trust that God has it in hand and will work things out properly. The author of Hebrews takes this and runs with it in chapter 11. Talks about all these people who lived by faith. Says, now, we, you know, faith, he kind of explains what faith is. He says, faith is knowing without seeing. It's understanding without having everything laid out for you. It's knowing that even though we may not know every step to get there, we've got God and we trust Him. Habakkuk, God looks at him, kind of pats him on the back. Oh, you dear sweet summer prophet. Bless your heart. Don't worry about it, buddy. Have faith in me. I've got this. And this convinces the prophet. Habakkuk looks around. He said, when? He gets an answer. He's like, what? And the end of the book, Habakkuk says, oh. This book ends with a prayer. It's one that could very easily be a hymn and in fact might have been. That might be why he addressed it to that chief musician. Having conversed with God, he trusts in the Lord. He says, I don't have all the answers. I don't know every last detail. But then he says, I don't need to. He knows God's power. He knows God's righteousness. He knows things are going to be all right. In a difficult and uncertain world, Habakkuk rests upon his faith. And it's that faith that allows him to rejoice. He says, I don't know what's going to happen. God's told me a few, steps in, a few steps in advance. And it seems weird to me. I'm not sure I get it. But I know God. And that's enough. Our ability to keep on keeping on, to go forth with joy in the Lord, it doesn't come from our certainty. Friends, it comes from our faith. 
Sometimes people look at the Bible and they'll start making like the Bible has every answer for what is going to unfold in the future. Friends, the Bible does not carry a roadmap to the end of time. It covers some of that in very, very broad strokes. I know that it will all pan out. But anybody telling you this is exactly what's going to happen, we call them wrong. And they sell a lot of books being wrong. Because sometimes the wrong answer is more attractive than the right one. Friends, we don't have to know the answers. We might not get the answers we like to have. We might be on our knees in that long, dark night of the soul when our faith is tested and we're wondering why and we're not getting the answer. But we know the one we're asking. And finally, we have to trust that he's good for it. Habakkuk may be one of the more obscure minor prophets and especially not one of the easiest ones to spell. But his concerns really resonate today. How can God allow wickedness to continue? Why doesn't he act? The answer is not simple. Habakkuk's asking about the situation in his time. He comes away without a complete answer. In the New Testament, we find a little more. We learn God is patient. He leaves it open for more to come to repentance. Chuck, it's like you said. Either Jesus is coming back or somebody else is coming to Jesus today. I don't know if you planned that, but the Holy Spirit probably had something in mind. Funny how he does that. But still, we don't find an answer that puts the issue completely to rest. We don't find some key that magically salves the hurt. Friends, sometimes we just got to go on bearing those scars. But the solution is the same one that Habakkuk found. Faith. We need to see how God's worked in the past. That's going to tell us he's trustworthy. Habakkuk knew the history. He knew who God was. We need to know God. That will help us understand that he is good. He is working for our benefit. And when we know him, we can trust in God. Friends, I don't know about you, I am just kind of so sick of hearing ads on TV in this uncertain world. Yes, we know it's uncertain. I mean, the last few years, how many apocalypses have we had? They've been lame. I wanted zombies. What do we get? Grocery delivery and paper masks. Oh, come on. But we do live in a difficult and uncertain world. But here's the thing. God's people always have. Ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit and got kicked out of Eden, we have never known what is coming next. It's always been questionable. It's always been difficult. It's always been troublesome. 
And ultimately, the answer to evil in the world doesn't really fit on a bumper sticker. We want those simple one-sentence answers, and they don't work. They leave us wanting. So we need to trust our God. Friends, he is working, he is planning, he will bring it about. We know he will. He has been acting and working, and friends, he is still. You look around in this world, you might wonder, where is God? Friends, I can tell you where he is. He is on his throne. That is exactly the conclusion that Habakkuk comes to. God's at work, and that's good enough. To quote the, the, the poet Longfellow, the, his poem, Christmas Bells, became the song we sing in December, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. No, we don't need some silly made-for-Christian movie to tell us God's not dead. We've got his word. I knew that long before somebody made a D-level movie about it. <laughs> He's working. We can trust our God. We can go through this life having faith in Him, knowing that our faith is not misplaced. We may not see the way, but we know our God. And we know what Habakkuk knew. Our God will not abandon us. Our God will not leave us. Our God will not ignore us. We have the same promises. Friends, our God will save us. In fact, we know things Habakkuk didn't know. We know the Son of God. We know how God has worked to redeem us. And we have his promises that, friends, that day is coming. Not a day with Babylonians. Not a day of Persians. Friends, it's not even going to be a day where the Americans end up winning. It's going to be a day where God's people win. When the sky is rolled back as a scroll, our Savior comes on the clouds of heaven, and we will know on that day our trust, our faith, rested exactly where it belonged. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you, for you are indeed our Savior. You are our God. And Lord, you are not ignoring us. You are caring for us. You are working. And Lord, you will see it through. We thank you and we praise you for that. We pray that you will increase our faith, Lord. Help us to know. Help us to understand that you are on your throne. You are in your holy heaven and you are working. So until that day, Father, help us to trust you. Help us to have our faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.